Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartan, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. All right. Well, welcome to the show. This is the Apex Hour. My name is Lynn Vartan, and we are back from fall break here on Southern Utah University's campus. And so welcome back to those of you who are listening. Uh, Last week, we were having a best of because we had our our live court, our live Utah appeals court. And um, uh, it's a little tricky to have our judges on the air. So we played a best of for you. But if you're interested in that event, you can definitely check out our website site to, to hear more. But today we are delving into archaeology and anthropology. So I have two guests. I have Sergeant Everhard here today and Dr. Penny Mintern. And so I'm going to start with Dr. Penny Mintern. Welcome and tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I'm Dr. Penny Mintern and I've been an archaeologist for over 35 years. That's so cool. Uh, and I've worked uh, all, a lot all over the Southwest United States. So I've worked right here in Cedar City uh, for about a year and a half. Uh, in 2010 and 11, I was working and living here, uh, which is how I got here today, sort of, uh, other connections. Yeah, um, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've done archaeology all over the place, all over the Southwest uh, and in Mexico. Uh, two of the things that I, I enjoy the most are uh, a, a excavation that I helped do in Egypt. That was really awesome. And currently, I work for the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. Mm -hmm. So that's who I've been for the last seven years. And that's a a government agency that goes back to war zones and recovers uh, missing and downed soldiers. I can't wait to ask. I have a million questions to (laughs) ask you about this. And I've been asking you so many questions already today at lunch and everything. So I can't wait to get more into it. But Sergeant, will you you tell us a little bit about you and also your connection to the event today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Senior Master Sergeant Eric Eberhard. I'm the uh, Explosive Ordnance Disposal Flight Superintendent with the 419th Fighter Wing based out of Hill Air Force Base, Utah. I've uh, been with them for about 14 years and served eight years in the Marine Corps as well. Um, my connection is that uh, when, when Doc Penny goes out on the, the sites to do the excavation, because they were war zones, there's military ordnance that may be involved, uh, whether it's booby traps or or bombs that were on the aircraft or, or ejection seat components that are explosive, those things may still be on site. And so they have to have an explosive ordnance disposal technician on site to recognize those, those items and, and render them safe accordingly. And you guys were together in Laos. And what year was that again? Uh, 2015. 2015, not that long ago. Yeah. Right. And these are missions that you can volunteer to participate in. You sort of were put on a, you kind of put yourself on a list as a volunteer for this? Uh, yes. Through my major command, I volunteered to, to be on the list. Uh, it was kind of a, a pipe dream. I didn't think it would actually happen. There are units out there that are officially tasked to do this, but uh, very last minute, the, the individual that was tasked for it broke his arm and 
I guess I was the first one on the list they called. So. That's amazing. And why this particular one? Were you? Was there a particular interest in visiting this area or this particular mission that you wanted to volunteer for? I think the mission in and of itself is what people want to be on. Mm. Uh, something bigger than yourself. You're going out there to to find the remains of individuals that didn't make it back home. Mm-hmm. You know, when we joined the military. Uh, in that unfortunate circumstance that one of us should pass away in a war zone, I don't think any of us believe that it's a one-way ticket. Right. We expect a return flight, even if it's delayed. And so right. uh, those those individuals that are out there finding us, in, in this case, I had that opportunity to go out and, and bring a, a fellow service member home to his family. It must be, for both of you, just incredibly rewarding. I mean, can yeah. you describe that feeling and, and what it's like for either of you? Yeah. Um, well, uh, as as I said, I was an archaeologist for a very long time, and then I had this opportunity to work with DPAA, and I thought uh, of everything I had ever done, uh, which I always found very rewarding, this would be the, the, the cream on the top, mm-hmm. um, to be able to serve America and to be able to serve the men who gave their lives for us. Um, Incredible, just mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And I would also like to mention that, as Eric was saying, American soldiers have that belief because they are given a promise. Mm-hmm. They are promised that we will not leave you behind. Right. And no matter how long it takes to bring you home, we'll still work to bring you home. That's such a, it's so emotional. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, is just such a powerful, yeah. um, <clears throat> I mean, you just must feel that, that you are just this great vehicle to bring to bring these soldiers home yeah. uh, after after sometimes decades yeah absolutely uh, we're we're working on world war ii sites that you know are over 70 years old and that's that's pretty amazing but this is a promise that the united states government made and they take it very seriously yeah now this was something that you almost had an inkling of as a child right you yes. were telling <laughs> us the story of your this bracelet you had you mm-hmm. you can't see in the studio but you have this beautiful bracelet on that has quite a story behind it. Do you mind sharing that story? Right. Well, I'm of the age where uh, I actually grew up in the 70s. I was a a smaller child in the 60s, but I certainly remember Vietnam. My brother uh, served in Mm -hmm. Vietnam. Um, And so I was part of the whole hippie, you know, what are we doing and uh, all all of that. So I was very aware of what was going on. Um, And when I was about 14, uh, there were some magazines that came out for, for teenagers, basically. And you could order an, a POW MIA bracelet. And on that bracelet would be the name and rank and where the man was lost. And it was to remember the missing so that we would never forget them. Mm-hmm. And I had that bracelet for years. I wore it every day in high school, I think. And um, it finally broke in half. Because uh, it's just it's a it's a silver band, yeah. basically with the with the information on it. And after uh, you know so many years of wearing it, I knew it was about to break, so I kind of put it away. And then when I came to work for DPAA, I thought I need to get a new one of those. So I actually have uh, an identical bracelet to the one I had when I was fourteen, and it has the same guy on it, uh, the same information, and I wear it now as a person who is trying to help bring these people home. And and doing it and succeeding. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you have brought so many soldiers home. And it was really, uh, that is a beautiful story. First of all, I just love that the 14-year-old version of you yeah. sort of... <laughs> 
almost looked into the future in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's beautiful. And the other thing that was uh, struck me is is the work that you do. I've been witnessing today the reaction of people to to both of you. I mean, for your service currently and to the work that you're doing, yeah. it's just really beautiful to see people in the audience come up and and just be so touched by by what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I take that, um, I, I take it as a meaning a, a great deal to me, although I always have to say it's such an honor. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate that people appreciate what we're doing, but for me, it is a huge honor to be able to have this job. Yeah. Well, I want to talk specifically about your, 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 your mission together a little bit more, mm-hmm. but before we get to that, can you go into a little bit more detail about the organization, the defense organization and, and ex- exactly what it, cause I think, and I didn't know anything about it until learning about you. And I'd love to know a little more about it, how it's structured and how it came to be. Cause I read somewhere that it came to be in maybe a little bit of a, a powerful way from families? Is mm-hmm. that yes. sort of how it happened? Yes. Um, I think uh, most people would probably recognize the POWMIA flag. Right. And that was a flag. I may not be absolutely right about this, but um, it was it was a flag designed by the families of the missing from Vietnam. Okay. Um, they were afraid that with all of the politics going on that, that their loved ones might be forgotten. Mm. So... Um, they formed the families formed the POWMIA association, uh, and so that is actually one of our flags. We carry two flags. One is the flag for DPAA itself, oh. and we almost always carry also carry the black and white flag of the POWMIA missing. Um, and so that you know, um, the POWMIA came around in the early seventies, late sixties. Pardon me for not knowing exactly when. Um, and again, as I say, I was there. I was I was a child, but I was very aware of the news and mm-hmm. all the things that were going on. Um, and then, you know, America really has, you know, they have made this promise uh, for a very long time. But it was not always an active, uh, let's go out and see what we can find. Let's go do some research. Let's, uh, you know, figure out, you know, we know it's been 50 years, but there's got to be people who saw something. There have to be something in the records that we can track down. And and that started very slowly and kind of in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and then it started ramping up, I think, as uh, the 90s came to an end and uh, America was uh, very much aware of their position in the world, and then uh, 9/11 happened, uh, and and so it's become a, a more and more uh, important to us as a country to to know that we can do this, and because the DNA has developed so uh, incredibly uh, in, in the last few years, we're able to do this much much more successfully than we, we could have done before. Are there multiple teams that, that work from, from this organization? Yes. How is it structured? Well, we have, um, we have three main um, offices. There's an office in Washington, D.C. that uh, hosts a lot of our planners and a lot of our historians. Um, we have a whole cadre of people who work for us, both scientific and logistic. We, uh, a, Good number of the people who work for us are military. The military supports this highly. They send people in to be our logisticians, to be our linguists, uh, to be our um, medics and, and things like that. Uh, um, most of the scientific staff is civilian, so we work hand in hand uh, with the military to do this job. 
and that's very important. We have a, somewhere between six and 700 people working for us right now. Oh, wow. Uh, the other two laboratories are, uh, there's an actual uh, forensic laboratory in Omaha, mm-hmm. and the main forensic laboratory is uh, on in Honolulu on Hawaii. Oh, great. On Oahu, sorry. <laughs> okay. And you've been there since, is it 2011? Yes, I oh, started great. in 2011, yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I think what I'll do is play my first song, and then when we come back, I'd love to get into some of the details about the mission that you two were on together. The first song that I have for you today is a song called Canvas by Luz Azul. Uh, And so let's have a listen. Uh, This is KSUU Thunder 91.1, and you're listening to the Apex Hour. Welcome back to the Apex Hour. This is Lynn Vartan, and we are enjoying a conversation about uh, the missions that my two guests took together um, and in forensic anthropology and archaeology, and we're specifically talking about their, their mission in Laos. But before we get to that, we had a really cute conversation over the break talking <laughs> about um, our sergeant visiting today is in 
uh, describe to me the the uniform that you're wearing. So, the, yeah, this is my service dress uniform. It's kind of a, a blue suit jacket and ribbons and a name tag and it's more of a form- tie. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit more of a formal attire for us. We don't typically wear it on a daily basis. So. And you were saying only a few times a year for special occasions. Typically so. some of the banquets, uh, some of the retirement ceremonies and promotion ceremonies, change of commands, things of that nature. Well, what an honor for us to, today, <laughs> you know, and, and I guess I, w- I wanted to ask, so you've been sort of released for the day to, to be here to celebrate this, this um, collaboration. How does, how does that work? Uh, because it directly relates to my job duties, you know, informing the public of, of explosive ordnance. You can really encounter explosive ordnance anywhere. There's so many old ranges where the army tested munitions or, or used them to, to test their weapons. And, and so it's possible you could come across something hiking through a Canyon and, and and find something. So, uh, we put a lot of effort forward into educating the public on what explosives are and what to do if you find them and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. So it's kind of a community outreach. And so it's, uh, it's right in line with my job duties. It's great because, I mean, I'm learning so much about a specialty that I didn't know too much about. And then we were talking about on the on the mission, well, normally you sort of you wear a more casual uniform during the day on when you're on the base or when you're where you live and that kind of thing. Sure. The, the airman battle dress uniform, it's uh, just a camouflage. Mm-hmm. Um, we're transitioning right now to a multi-pattern camouflage oh. joint service-wide, but... Uh, yeah, that's that's my day to day uniform. But on the digs, you're you're able to be in civilian uh, dress and because right. you're you're digging and doing all these right. things and 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 then you were saying how then if there's something uh, that you that requires that so what tell us what you were telling me over the okay. break. So. Um, so when when I go on missions, uh, the missions usually last six to eight weeks, something like that. And we can be anywhere in the world where there has been a war, uh, where airplanes have gone down or, or uh, ground losses uh, on a battlefield, anything like that. So we can be just about anywhere. And um, we don't go as a military presence. Right. And so our uh, military don't wear their uniforms. They wear tennis shoes and, well, not tennis shoes, usually boots and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, khakis. Right. And T-shirts, yeah, because uh, they're working really, really hard and getting really, really dirty. And so that's what I see. That's how I meet them. Uh, we fly over in the C-17 together, and that's what I see. I just see them as just everyday guys with really short haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and we're working together for you know six, eight weeks, and so we get to know each other fairly well. And then at the end, if there's a if if we do find what we're looking for, we usually will do a uh, an honor transfer with an honor guard. And so that will require us to choose some of the guys that are with us who have brought their uniforms with them to uh, like stand at attention for us when we when we uh, take the transfer cases with the remains and put them on the plane or whatever. We do an honor guard. Ah. And so when when the guys come out and they're in their really nice uniforms, they just look so great. <laughs> and they, it, it's just such a – it really brings home to me because I've been working with these guys and, you know, yeah. and it's it's hot and, uh, you know – not you're not always at your best, right? Right. <laughs> but you know they spiff up really well. Yeah. <laughs> they just look really good yeah. in their in their uniforms, and they just are so respectful. And it's just yeah. really a great thing to be part of. Well, that's a great part of the about of the mission. That nice nice little story that emerged there. Yeah. Yeah. Would well, <laughs> love to talk a little bit more about your specific mission together. And uh, yeah, what? Well, I guess my first question was, 
what was it like on a day-to-day basis? Like, what were each of you doing uh, during the day? So, Well, Doc Penny, she was in charge of the site. She's the boss, the archaeologist. She's, she's got everything mapped out, has a plan, and the rest of us are there just to work. You know, we're, we're digging through dirt, sifting through it to, to find anything we can that, uh, that may be useful or, or lead us to more information. Um, we get a little bit of training in Hawaii before we head over to these missions. So we kind of know what we're looking for and what the intent is. Um, but there is a little bit of a culture shock when you first get there, when you realize I'm going to be working with a lot of natives of this country that don't speak English. I can't speak to them. They can't speak back to me. And we're going to be sifting through dirt together. Yeah. Um, my specialty as an explosive ordnance technician really only comes into play if we come across something that somebody suspects might be explosive. Uh, I do have some metal detecting tools, and so I'm used on a regular basis to kind of search areas to see if we've, we've exhausted all avenues of of, uh, of digging in that area. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm in the hole digging with everybody else, passing buckets along, sifting through the dirt. Uh, it's it's tedious work, but but knowing why you're doing it's very rewarding. Yeah, and you so yeah, you guys are all the team. As you said, you're you're part of the team until your specialty is called into service. So you're there every day digging and digging. Right. And what came out in the talk today was you actually have an extra specialty that was particularly <laughs> useful for this dig, right? Yes, As yes. I understand, um, it, anyone out there who does archaeology knows that. You know, you can learn everything you want to learn in the classroom. Uh, but one of the main things you really need to know is to how to read soil. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, uh, you know, you, you can't really teach that overnight. Even in six weeks, sometimes that's hard to teach somebody. So it it's very nice for me to have somebody that I can trust to know the soil. And that's what Eric became to me uh, because he's uh, done a lot of work uh, around his house. And I guess his, his family was, were farmers as well. And um, he uh, does a lot of landscaping. And so when I said to Eric, would you tell me, could you tell me when the soil changes, when the color changes or if the, the texture changes? He knew what I meant. Mm-hmm. And so I very quickly came to rely on him to be, cause I, you, I can't be everywhere at once, but it's really nice to have one person that you can trust that will say, Doc, come over here. Cause I think we found something and I knew I could trust him with that. So yeah. that was, that was really great. That was, you know, he, uh, actually I, I don't have that a lot on these sites. Yeah. Um, people work really hard, but somebody who has that sense of when soil is changing <laughs> or when soil is a little different, that's very valuable. Oh, that's and that so was great. cool. <laughs> I thought she was going to, I thought you were mentioning my, my balloon artistry. Oh yes. <laughs> there is that too. He kept the, the kids entertained at the site because he, he loves to make balloon animals. Do you really, He's really do great. That? Yeah. So, so Doc Penny's really all about building bridges, and you have to do that when you go into these countries. I mean, we're we're a guest in their country, right. and, and in some cases, they're countries that that we bombed quite a bit, and then mm-hmm. so there's a lot of resentment there. And so, uh, we're in there to to build bridges, win over hearts and minds as well. And uh, I served as an LDS missionary when I was younger, and one of the talents I took with me that opened up a lot of hearts and minds and doors was, was doing balloon animals. My mom had given me a kit when I was 14 years old It was amazing. and uh, <laughs> told me on the way to a family Easter party that I had to learn some balloons to do for the, all my little cousins. <laughs> so I quickly learned a few things, but over time I developed more things and I took this skill with me on my LDS mission. But uh, I found it very useful because it did open up conversations, even when you couldn't speak the same language. Right. Uh, and so just on a whim, I thought I'm going to take my balloon animals and my pump with me on this, this Laotian mission. So I did, and, and within the first day on the site, we found out that, hey, everybody in the world loves a balloon sword, and you can get into so a little true. battle with each other. And 
And it just melted hearts and everybody loved every day when, when the job would end because we'd have to wait for a helicopter to take us home. Yeah. And so while we were waiting for the helicopter ride, I'd just start busting out balloons and the little kids would line up and the, <laughs> the ladies would line up and even the men would line up to get their balloon and... That's the cutest thing I've ever heard. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. (laughs) So little swords and little dogs. Hats and and teddy bears and hearts and flowers, all that stuff. You must have brought a a kind of a box full or a bag full. Yeah, one gross bag of balloons, about 144 balloons, and it lasted the the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. That's fantastic. It's really, really amazing. You, you never know what kinds of tools you have uh, that are just going to be uh, unreplaceable. Oh, and my that gosh. was that was one of them. I mean, they just loved him, and <laughs> and therefore it really breaks down those walls yeah. between you and those people, which you try to do constantly while you're there. Well, I know that building bridges is is such an important. I mean, that was the title of your talk today, and, yes. and the positivity that you bring is just so evident from talking to you and just you just are oozing it (laughs) and it's talk to me a little bit more about that part of it and and maybe if you have an experience on this particular mission either of you or both of you that that really represented that i mean the balloon animals that i can't that was amazing (laughs) but are there any other ways that you find power in that building bridges particularly maybe in this mission well, um, what I always try to do is smile a lot. A smile does not need a translation. Yeah. And, you know, respect. Yeah. And, and you have to do that. And you can't think, oh, these people are only digging soil for us. They're not scientists or whatever. You know, these people work hard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you, you just look at them and you realize they're just a human just like you. And for me, uh, the kids – will either be really easy or they'll be very standoffish. It just depends. But the women will usually come to me. Mm-hmm. They'll usually end up coming to me um, because I think they, they, they see a fellow mother. Yeah. Uh, Cause I'm a very mothering type. I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, once I can, you know, I, I, I can talk to the women and you don't have to speak their language. There's a lot of, you know, gestures and smiles and just other things that, uh, can build those bridges for you. You don't even have to speak the language. It's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. And do you have any other memories from this trip that you'd love to share? I mean, trip, mission, mission that you'd sorry. love to <laughs> the, the share, particularly any um, key relationships that came or moments that, that stick in your mind? I, I think there's a lot of bonding that goes on between team members when you get there. None of you know each other before you leave. Very mm-hmm. few of you anyway. Mm-hmm. There's, there's very few individuals on that mission that are, that are native to the DPAA uh, so the rest of us are, are building a team and you go through that whole forming, storming, norming, and performing phase. You know, <laughs> the, the first week, everybody's gung ho and wants to just do the work. And then within the second week, everybody's starting to get on each other's nerves. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some, some problems occur and then Doc Penny has sometimes has to step in and separate us and put us in our corners. <laughs> Uh, do you really have to step once in, in a while? Yes. <laughs> and how do you, cause I want to ask you about leadership, but how do you, how do you do that? What do you do? Do you sort of see it kind of, and those four words, what did you say? Forming, storming? Forming, storming, norming, and performing. Norming and, okay, yeah. we'll get, we've got to forming and storming. <laughs> yeah. And so w- when you step in, what do you do? Well, it's usually not um, like a blatant problem. Ah. Um, but if you, if you pay attention, and as an anthropologist, I should be aware of these kinds of things because I've been taught, you know, how people interact and uh, how groups uh, dynamics work and how they don't work. Uh, so, so I try to play, pay really close attention and I can usually tell if people are 
not liking to be near each other uh, or if, you know, they're the eye rolling, all of you teenagers out there, uh, anybody in the world can eye roll and it, it's very meaningful. So I, what I usually try to do is kind of figure out what's going on and I, I don't try to blatantly get into the middle of it once in a while. That's, that's actually necessary, but not very often. And it's more of just, again, just the building bridges. You try to kind of explain one side to one, one, uh, person and then explain the other side to the other person and just you know just try uh, on a case-by-case basis you have to you know understand that they're humans that they're tired that they're far away from home uh that we you know you don't have cell phones you don't have mm-hmm. you know often you don't have any kind of communications at all so it's really being out in the in the boonies yeah. and a lot of times you're camping sometimes you have a hotel but sometimes you're just camping and sometimes you just have to let people be who they are. Right. Um, so it, it it can be tricky, but uh, I think because I'm an older uh, archaeologist, I probably have a little bit easier time of it because yeah. they don't want to, you know, mess with their mom or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's the storming. And then then what? The norming? The norming and the performing. Norming is kind of everybody starts to respect each other. You figure out where your place is and, and the, the the normal flow of things, right? And then you get to the performing stage where everybody just knows what they're supposed to do. You show up on the site every day, things happen, uh, and it, it's like clockwork. That's amazing. And that that happens in way. any organization, yeah. really. I'm going to totally use that <laughs> <laughs> with my music students. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I love that. I hadn't heard it kind of put that yeah, way That's before, a very military so. thing, but, yeah. but it's very true. I, I learned it in business school. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. And and so it, was there a specific memory from one of those stages that from that mission? Uh, not in, not in particular. Uh, I remember there was a, a few times when people get on each other's nerves a little bit, but nothing significant. Yeah. Um, but, but going back to those building bridges, that building bridge topic, I think it's also important to, to show respect for, for the country you're in by eating the food. You, yeah. there's a chance you could get sick sometimes. There's yeah. a chance they'll put something very exotic in front of you. And, uh, I've learned over time that if you just try it, sometimes you like it and it means a lot to them yeah. because the, in some cases they're offering you everything they have. Yeah. And so that that, yeah. that made a big difference to open up some bridges. Yeah. I would say, uh, I said this in my talk this morning uh, about respect. If you give respect, you will get respect. And I love that. I, I cannot emphasize that much. You, you can't walk into these people and wait for them to give you respect. Right. Because that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way anywhere. Right. But if you show respect to someone, then they're going to, you know, they're going to give it right back to you. Right. They are. And what were the results of that mission? You 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 were able to identify someone and bring them back. Actually, in that particular mis- mission, we worked on three separate sites. Oh, okay. And um, we closed two of the sites. We we had already been at these sites for a very long time. In Southeast Asia, the soil is very acidic, oh. and so we often don't find a lot I see. in these sites. So we we did our best. We um, dug it to its absolute archaeological scientific extent and and we've closed it mm-hmm. uh, we didn't get to bring anybody home on mm-hmm. that one mm-hmm. um and and in southeast asia most specifically that's often true yeah um because it's a very tough place to work um but sometimes you know you just keep going back and you find enough that you can identify someone so that's why we keep going back and i imagine there's a great satisfaction in taking a site all the way through too because you feel like you've given that site that much attention right Right. So. You've really tried. Mm-hmm. You've really, really tried. And just because we've closed the site doesn't mean that it will 
stay closed forever. If we get new information right. uh, from any source, um, we can always go back and try again. Right. And from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but on that particular mission, our primary assignment that we went to, we closed that site, but the, one of the intents was to discover whether or not the co-pilot had gone down with that plane. They had had discovered evidence in the That's past true. that a single individual for sure was on that site, but that particular aircraft had the capability of ejecting just the co-pilot if they chose. And right. so they hadn't found enough life support equipment to determine prior to this if two people had gone down on that site or not. But on our mission, we did determine yes. that there were two sets of life support equipment and we were able to bring closure to that family to let them know, yes, this is I see. where the co-pilot was when the plane went down. And that's, what I think, one of the things you were saying today, that it's 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 not just about the remains but sometimes yes. it's about the equipment and mm -hmm. the materials because yeah. that can be just as uh definitive in yes. the, in the yes. process and that's why you know you have archaeologists at the site in this is my opinion <laughs> you have archaeologists uh, on the site running these sites because they're trained to see everything mm -hmm. not just looking for the the human remains on the sites yeah there's other kinds of evidence that can tell you context right and in this case we had a lot of strange uh things that said oh we have people who said that they saw him uh being taken prisoner um but we were able to prove that there were two ejection seats at the site Okay. Which means even though we didn't find the remains of the second guy, we, we could tell his family that, you know, we found the, the, re, the vestiges yeah. of the seat he was in. Mm -hmm. And so you, you get different kinds of answers right. sometimes. You don't always get that really great, I can get DNA answer. Right. But you do always get answers. It's yeah. sometimes not the answer you want. But. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think we'll take a little break again. Uh, the next song that I have for you today is called Try. Uh, and the artist is Bugge, B-U-G-G-E, and then Wessel, Toft. Um, so have a listen to that. Again, you're listening to the Apex Hour, KSUU, Thunder 91.1. <laughs> Try, you just try. 
just try, try, you just try. Maybe your world shakes, you try to hold on. Maybe your heart breaks, just keep on loving. Maybe you'll find out it's meant to be this way. Maybe you'll learn this, or maybe we'll learn this. Try, try, you just try. You just try, try, you just try. Keep embracing. Day, you keep on yearning, keep on making mistakes just to keep on learning, keep on giving, you keep on wanting, keep on fighting, just get up every morning and try, try, you just try. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Apex Hour, KSUU Thunder 91.1. My name is Lynn Vartan, and we are just having a great conversation here about um, the organization is called, I'm trying to look up the the actual word, but DPAA. Mm-hmm. What does DPAA stand for one more time? Defense, P-O-W-M-I-A. Accounting Agency. Okay, great. Uh, and we have uh, S- uh, Sergeant Eberhard here. I hope I said that yeah, right. <laughs> and Dr. Penny Mintern. Um, and we were talking about their their mission in Laos. Um, and but I'd like to turn to another another mission, um, and that is your your travels in Egypt uh-huh. and and some of the things that you were doing there. I know you talked about them a little bit in your talk today, but could you give us a little bit of an outline on on sort of that um, mission? Uh-huh. <laughs> Although I don't know if it was called a mission. No, it's not called a mission. The the DPA. A stuff are called missions, and so now everything in my head is a mission. <laughs> right. So that's a dig. Yeah, it was an excavation. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And um, I went twice. I went in 1999 as part of a bio bioarchaeological field school from mm-hmm. Arizona State University, and we were there for three months at that time. And then I went back in 2007 after I had completed my doctorate at Arizona State. Um, the uh, woman who was in charge of the Middle Cemetery in Abydos. Uh, her name is Dr. Janet Richards from Ann Arbor, University of Michigan. And she invited me to come back. And when I went, she allowed me to, as a gift for my graduation, she allowed me to uh, be in charge of the excavation of the tomb of EU. 
And so uh, that's what we spent that uh, those couple months doing, and it was really amazing. That's an amazing gift. <laughs> oh, it was. It was a huge gift. Uh, you must have been nervous. Well, you know, I'm pretty sure of myself as an archaeologist, yeah. I have to say. So um, I was just excited oh, and excited great. that I, I knew I could do a good job for her. And, you know, you just take it one day at a time. That's mm-hmm. Archaeology is like that. You can't go in with a pre-plan. You know, we go on these missions and uh, Eric said, you know, I have a plan. I do have a plan, but that plan can change at any time. Right. Uh, And and that's kind of uh, the whole essence of not only archaeology, but life, I would say, is if it's not working exactly, you you just change it. It's not a huge mistake. It's not a bad thing. You just have to adapt and uh, go on. So uh, I I think I'm pretty good at adapting. (laughs) I love that. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what your sort of day in the life on, on in your field work is like? We were sort of talking about the length of the day and then what you do mm-hmm. after in the evening. Can you sort of take uh, our listeners through kind of what a day in the life on an excavation is for you? Okay. Um, are you, do you specifically mean like working in archaeology or the work that I have done for DPAA? Because they're very different. <laughs> oh, well, I'd love to hear both okay. if we have time. Well, um the the mission i'm sorry the uh, excavation in egypt was was very specific but not unusual um because it was very hot most of the time we were there we started very early we were usually on the site by about 5:30 in the morning wow uh and then by noonish maybe 1:30 1 i'm sorry 12 to noon 12 to 1 i'll get it here in a minute <laughs> between 12 and 1 we would take a break because by that time it was so hot yeah but we've already worked since 5 30 yeah so we've put in a pretty good day yeah and we would go back to the american house which is where we were staying and uh they would fix lunch for us we would have lunch and then we would have uh, like a siesta we would have two or three hours to rest or to sit around and chat with each other or or do anything just to wind down and then in the afternoon the later afternoon we would go back to work and do our our laboratory work and our paperwork and that would last until it was time for tea and then uh after tea um we would probably start playing euchre or something with (laughs) 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 Uh, it's 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 a similar long day for dpaa when you're in the field you get up uh, as soon as the helicopters can fly basically Mm. uh or you get up early enough to to catch the first rays of light if you're hiking to the site uh, and then you put in eight hours, at least, you know, eight to nine hours. Uh, then sometimes you have to catch the helo to go back to your hotel or you have to hike back to your hooch. <laughs> and, uh, and then after that, you know, there's a dinner at some point. Um, usually we usually make our own dinners uh, on the DPAA missions. But then after that, the, the archaeologist and sometimes the medic or uh, if somebody's had something to do for their specialty, if if uh, we had some EOD that Eric had to look at, he might write a little report on that. And what I do then is I have to go through all of the stuff we've removed from the site that day and separate it out and mark it where it came from and do all of my paperwork. So that usually lasts till about bedtime. Mm. And then you get up and do it again the next day. <laughs> wow. But it sounds like you love being in the field. I do love it. I yeah. do really love it. That's kind of one of the main themes you were talking about was the follow your bliss. You said it a yes. few times this morning. It's such a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. So important. Yeah. 
One of the things that, as before we turn to the other topic that I wanted to get to, it was about, uh, I wanted to touch on the, the other service that happens during these missions. Um, you mentioned the medic, mm-hmm. uh, n- not just for the team, but also sometimes having a doctor service the community. And yes. could either of you uh, tell us a little bit about some of those other services that are provided on some of these missions? I was going to divert to Penny since she's more familiar with having worked <laughs> with the organization, but... But yeah, I do know from from being there that we had a medic, and there was a few days during our mission where he was asked to to, to go help out the local community to provide some uh, some diagnosis. Well, I don't know how much he can diagnose, but to provide whatever aid he can to to the local villagers that where we are housed during mm-hmm. that time frame. I'm not sure if there's any educational aspects to the mission. Uh, um, sometimes there are. Yeah, um, it really depends on where where you're at, and right. And the, and the crew that you're with, um, mm-hmm. I, I told a story this morning about um, a crew that went with me uh, in 2014 mm-hmm. to Laos. Mm-hmm. And they had the idea that since they knew there was a school up at the top of the hill where we were uh, excavating, they decided maybe we should take some uh, playground equipment. So they, they took the stuff to build a playground. Oh. And so they built a playground uh, just up the hill from where we were. Uh-huh. And that was really appreciated by the locals and especially the kids. They, uh, you know, just really, you know, and, and I think we went back to that site a few times and always made sure that we uh, had stuff to fix it with if it had broken down yeah. or whatever. Um, sometimes um, the crew will gather together uh, used clothing. Mm. Uh, we've done that several times in Guadalcanal mm. and the crew will, uh, the, the team uh, will get a big tough box and fill it with clothes of different sizes and, and different uses. And we'll take that to the site and maybe we'll, uh, you have to be very politically aware. So you don't just give it to everyone in the community. You give it to the lead person in the community, oh, the right. elder who, who has uh, the wherewithal to know who really needs it and, and that kind of thing. So you give it to the elder and uh, he passes it out. So, so people really appreciate that kind of thing. Oh, wow. And we have so much as Americans. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's a, a beautiful part of that that I, I loved hearing about. I mean, you're going into these places and spending all this time, but also, you know, building bridges, yeah. I mean, in, in as many ways as possible. Mm-hmm. So right. one of the other things I wanted to talk about in the time that we had left is uh, just about how you each... Um, uh, find your success. I mean, uh, you, you're both doing just such amazing things. And and one of the things we talk about a lot in education with our students is, and, and you touched on it a little bit in your talk today, uh, uh, you know, they're working so hard in school and they're taking their classes and all these things. But then how do you become successful then in life and kind of keep that drive going? Do you have any thoughts or advice or things that have really worked for you that you'd like to pass along? Yeah, it, you know, the, the old movie with Robin Williams, Carpe Diem, you know, Seize the Day, I think is always a good one. Uh, d- don't shy away from those opportunities, those volunteer opportunities that happen on a regular basis. Mm. All too often we think, well, that looks kind of tough and I'm sure somebody else will volunteer, so I'm going to shy away from this. But don't, jump in on it, even if it's dirty task, you know, digging through dirt for two months on end, you know, I don't know how many metric tons of dirt we moved. And, a lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. there wasn't an article of clothing that I could bring home with me because it was so dirty and ru- ruined by the right. time I came home. But it was it was so rewarding. And I learned so much about myself and about so many other people in that in, in that environment. And my career's kind of been that way. I, I like to jump in and volunteer where other people don't because there's opportunities, hidden gems within those opportunities. 
I love that. Do you ever uh, struggle with motivation or is, have you just always been kind of a, a go-getter get type? I like to think that I've got a growth mindset. You yeah. know, and I think the difference between growth and fixed mindset is just uh, a little bit of confidence in yourself. It may not be something you've done before, but take a try and don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. You're going to fail. That's how you learn about yourself and where your capabilities are. Once right. you know your capabilities, where your limits are, it's much more easier to accept the next challenge, knowing what you can and can't do. Right. I totally agree. If if there's students out there or young people out there who might be wanting to cultivate that growth mindset, are there? Um, do you have any advice for them on how to, I mean, just other than trying and not being afraid of failure, because that is okay. Don't say yes to everything because drugs are bad. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but but right. say yes. Take those opportunities. Yeah. You know, if your first inclination when somebody asks for help on something is to say no, that's something you should be saying yes to. Ah, I love that. Okay, great. Thank you, <laughs> Doctor Mintern. How about you? What what advice do you have? What things? Uh, what magic details <laughs> do you have to share? Um, I think my biggest magic detail is that. A failure is just an opportunity waiting to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I told some stories this morning about my own failures in the past. And when you fail, it doesn't matter what it is. If you, if you fail painting your fingernails the wrong color or if you fail the chemistry class. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I have always hated this saying, but it is what it is. And yeah. what it is is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And don't ever put yourself down. Oh, because you are so doing the best you can yeah. and just keep doing it. Yeah. Just keep going forward. Um, I flunked out of school once and I went back a semester later and here I am 30 years later. Mm -hmm. um, it's about not allowing other people to guide your bliss. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the quote that you said, uh, follow your bliss that mm -hmm. comes from Joseph Campbell. That's not me. Um, and one of my favorite people ever, uh, Joseph Campbell, look him up. He's really, really, uh, just a, a very strong personality who will tell you just be who you are mm -hmm. and, and go forward. Don't feel like you're a failure because failure is just opportunity knocking. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And do you ever struggle with motivation and, and how do you get through it? I mean, that just seems to be something that comes up a lot in, uh, at least in the campus environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in the students that I'm working with, you know, they, yeah. they, they want success, but then it's sometimes it's hard to string together day after day yeah. after day. I mean, I know I mm -hmm. experience it too. What do you do? Well, um, Eric said something earlier about, uh, using anything for an opportunity for growth. And, and that's, it's about a mindset. That mindset's not always easy to pull up. Mm -hmm. uh, some days are just so gray that it's really difficult. But just try to remember that the future is always there. And if you, if you will take those opportunities to just say, dang it, I'm going to do it. That's what's gotten me through. I'm from Missouri. I'm a Missouri mule. That's, that's <laughs> how I got through my doctorate was I just told my doc, my professor, you know, I'm not quitting. Yeah. I'm not quitting. Yeah. And sometimes all you need is somebody to challenge you and say, well, you probably should quit then. Somebody tells you that, then you reach down and you get that little person inside that says, no. Yeah. Just be persnickety. 
<laughs> I love that. You guys have such great advice. It's really beautiful. Um, and then a, a couple other questions um, in the time that we have left. One is that um, I'd love to know if there's anything right now in your specific area that's um, really exciting or, or, and I know what you do, you mm-hmm. find great joy in, but in terms of uh, things that are maybe on the cutting edge, is there a new discovery or, or a new direction that things are going? that are that are really of interest to you right now (laughs) (laughs) um there's a couple of things from from where i work there's uh the the dna lab that we work with is called afdil and they work in dover delaware and they're awesome they just are on the cutting edge of figuring out how to remove dna to to replicate the dna they're doing it with smaller and smaller pieces uh and they're you know, just getting more and more information. And that's really exciting for what I do. Uh, in other news, uh, the museum in Brazil was destroyed in uh, an earthquake or mm. a fire. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a huge fire. Uh-huh. They had millions and millions of artifacts and things. And one of the things they had was a very old skeleton from Brazil who they named Lucia after Lucy. Oh, And uh, they thought, that they had lost everything. Mm-hmm. And just last week, they found parts of Lucia. So I, I I don't know, that just popped into my head when you said that, because I think that's so exciting that they found parts of Lucia again. Yeah. So that's just really, really awesome. Oh, my gosh, that's very <laughs> exciting. Yeah. And then the DNA thing that you were speaking mm-hmm. of, one of the things I think was so fascinating that I learned at lunch today that I didn't know is, I mean, because, you know, most of us watch TV, like you were saying, <laughs> we were saying, oh, CSI gets DNA back in, you know, like that minutes. afternoon, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, the 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 rate of DNA uh, testing returns was so much longer than I thought. And that's actually an improvement, right? Yes. It's really gotten better. Can yeah. you talk about that for a minute? Well, um, it's getting better all the time. I mean, geneticists are working on this process all the time. Um, and the, the time period that it takes from the time they get a sample to when they can replicate the DNA and actually read the DNA for us is getting shorter and shorter. But it can take, you know, six weeks to six months, but they're not going to do it this afternoon. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just, but six weeks to six months is mm-hmm. such a long time. My yeah. goodness. So well, that's really fascinating. Watching CSI and Bones, it's not, that's not what they're doing. <laughs> but we don't have those really wonderful holograms that can <laughs> replicate people in 3D. <laughs> and how do you feel about those shows? Are they, are they sort of um, fun? I mean, do you kind of <laughs> look at them askance or is it just like, oh, don't show me those shows. I don't want to have anything well, to do with them. They're kind of fun because people then have some idea what we do. Um, but I'm not allowed to watch those with my children because I'm constantly <laughs> criticizing and they say, Mom. So I are they 90% wrong, 80% wrong, 70? Oh, they're, they're, they're a good 70% wrong. I think. <laughs> probably more. But. but when you think about shows like Star Trek, that back in the day, some of those ideas were out of this world. And some of that's coming to fruition. That's true. I know. You know. How great would it be if some of those ideas on those shows, people start thinking about, hey, why can't we do that? Yeah, Let's, we should yeah, be able true. to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is true. It's getting better all the time. <laughs> and is there anything in your area of expertise that's really exciting right now. I would love to say that the world is becoming a better place and that I'll be out of a job soon mm. because really I I wish the world was such a place where we didn't have to worry about explosives <laughs> yeah. blowing people up and things of that nature. But I don't. I, I, I'm a 
I'm a little bit of a pessimist in that aspect. I think the world is getting worse yeah. and we're, we're going to have to deal with it more and more. Yeah. Um, so that's unfortunate to say that. I don't mean to bring a, no, a no. downer in at the very end. That's but, okay. I've got, a, I've I'm, got one am, thing to bring us up. So. I am happy though that we have service members uh, that are willing to enlist even to this day to yeah. go out and do something, be part of something bigger than themselves for worthy ideals, things right. that are bigger than them, freedom, right. liberty, justice, equality. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for, for that powerful response. And uh, to, we will lighten it up for my last question, which is um, always sort of, um, it's a question I ask and on the radio show all the time. And it's, um, what's turning you on right now? Now, this does not have to do with work or anything like that. It can be a book that you're reading or a TV show that you love or a movie or a podcast. It's kind of just a fun way for people to see one other thing about you um, that's maybe outside of, of your normal work thing. So I ask you, what is turning you on this week? Sorry, we have well, I'll start with me. She's, she's yeah, coughing at the moment. Do you, hear, do you need more wine? <laughs> uh, for me, I just finished reading recently uh, the, the book Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Start With Why. Uh, start okay. With Why. And it really get, puts things in perspective for you or from an organizational perspective of, of why are you doing things oh. as opposed to what and how. When you when you focus on the why, the what and the how don't matter as much. Okay. Uh, and and things improve. So that's and, not a plug for the book. It just happens to be And who is the author again? Simon Sinek. S-I-N-E-K, I believe. S-I-N-E-K. Start with why. Start with I'm going to check that out. That, that sounds, sounds really good. good. <laughs> and how about you, Dr. Minter? Well, I would say also a book. Um, I've been reading a couple books by Brene Brown. Uh-huh. Um, and... I think I could have read them a year ago and they wouldn't have spoken to me quite so much. Oh. Um, but more recently, um, I've been struggling with some things. Everybody struggles. Yeah. And just some of the things that she talks about uh, in being a woman and um, fighting against your darker nature sometimes, yeah. the, the that knee-jerk reaction of, I'm not really good enough. Yeah. Uh, and she really battles that with some really simple and straightforward you know, what What I was trying to say earlier is, you know, you are not nothing. Right. You are worth everything. Yeah. Because you simply, simply because you exist. Yeah. And she really um, addresses that and how to be a leader and, oh. and those kinds of things. So Brene Brown. She's, she's been suggested to me uh, several <laughs> times. And so I, I'm going to have to dig yeah, into those she's, books. She's really awesome. <laughs> well, great. Yeah. Well, we're out of time here on our show in the apex hour thank you so much to both of you for joining me today what a pleasure to have you in the studio all right well we're gonna sign off here for the apex hour and we'll look forward to hearing you again again feel free to check us out on the web and um, this is ksuu thunder 91.1 thanks so much for listening to the apex hour here on ksuu thunder 91.1 Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.